Bendy. Hello and welcome to the podcast that nothing could stop. Not even time itself. So you thought you'd seen the end of us in 2021, but you hadn't. Because it's 2022 and Waldy and Bendy's Adventures in Art is back. Well, it's almost back. Half of it has returned. The bit with me in it. Valdemar Janusztak, art critic of the Sunday Times, also known as Waldy. Bendy, unfortunately, has gone skiing in Switzerland, so he's left me to go solo while he refines his ski jumping. Right now, he'll be flying through the air somewhere over the Swiss Alps. Fly well, Bendor, fly true. Fortunately, though, it isn't just me here getting lonely because I've managed to grab a word or two with one of Britain's most interesting artists, the magnificent Tracy Emin, who's worth listening to in any circumstance, but particularly worth listening to right now. As you've probably heard, last year, Tracy was diagnosed with bladder cancer and needed to have a life-changing operation. But now, thank heavens, she's clear of the cancer and begun to make plans, big plans for the future. And just to arm you with some bits of information you may need before we hear from her, Cecily, whom she mentions, is a pal she went on holiday with. Carl is Carl Friedman, her ex-boyfriend, who's opened a gallery next to her in Margate, the fabulous Carl Friedman Gallery. Jay is her dealer, Jay Joplin, of White Cube, and Lorcan is Lorcan O'Neill, another big art dealer. So I spoke to her in her new home in Margate and we zoomed in typical COVID style. She was in bed when we spoke and she did look a bit jet-lagged. The interview. So um, you've just got back, I know, because you were, I was watching your Instagram feeds on this fantastic gold-lined aeroplane that you seem to be zoomed out on, like, like gold taps and things. I thought, wow. It was, yeah, it was Emirates. <laughs> it's because I was flying to, to Phuket. So by flying Emirates, we could fly direct to Phuket. And also Emirates, you're in a completely like little sealed off thing. And I didn't want to make myself any more vulnerable than I needed to, really. And um, I haven't had a holiday for 11 years, so it was fine. I mustn't give myself a hard time about it. Did you have a good time? Yes, I did have a very... I wasn't having a good time. Just me and Cecily, Cecil Mouse, and we had a very... It was almost like nuns were in the villa. We drank tea, we read, we didn't sit in the sun very much, we swam and we ate Thai food the whole time and we were very quiet and we went to sleep very early and there was this really, you know, like Thai furniture, day beds everywhere. And so basically it was just like choosing where to rest and where to sleep. And also it was my first holiday without drinking. Oh, blimey. Yeah, I know. And it was really weird because you're thinking, well, by now, I mean, I don't drink spirits anyway, but by now you might have a spritz early or something. And then lunchtime, you might have a couple of glasses of wine because you're on holiday. And then by the evening, you might have a glass of wine by the pool. And then by the end of the day, you drank a bottle of wine and you might have done that for every day you were there. Or, or more so, you might have had a couple of nights where you put the music on and danced or something, but not anymore. That's not to me, my life is so different now. My big thing was mango sticky rice. That's what I OD'd on. Do you know, I've not, I don't really know Thailand. I've been, I have been, but not a lot. 
Um, we just went to a villa. I didn't leave the villa once. I just didn't go anywhere or do anything because I just needed some vitamin D and to rest because after having the cancer, I mm. needed some respite, really. Mm. And I've been too, not scared, but I haven't wanted to travel at all. So, but it was doctor's orders. So, there you oh, go. really? Oh, yeah, no, definitely. I had to try and get a rest. The rest or vitamin D? And what, which was it? Both. Was it? The vitamin D and the rest. Yeah. So, mm. I know from your um, Instagram that it's noisy at the moment in, in Margate. Is it still noisy? No, not Margate. No, was that in London? In London. The house next door has been completely renovated and it's taken two years. And I can't take the noise anymore. I just mentally can't take it. I just can't take it. And part of it is mm. to do with my fragility, the trauma of what I've been through, everything. I just can't take it. And about, this is part of the doctor's orders. About five or six weeks ago, I just completely cracked up. I just went ballistic. I was crying. I nearly burnt my house down. I just couldn't take it anymore. So now I've just decided that I'm, well, I love it in Margate anyway. I've just decided to stay in Margate really until they finish the work. Right. And, and there's nothing you can do about it. There's no law against it. You can't stop it. You can't ask them to be quieter because they're doing their work. Mm. It might sound like I'm moaning about nothing. No, it doesn't. No, no. They no. dig, dig down 10 meters. Yeah. I found sound can be really dis disturbing. You know, that sort of thing of people doing stuff next door to you all on and on and on and on. It has a really big impact. I've, I've gone nearly mad on it before as well. My head was actually trembling and shaking and I was waking up, like I wake up early and I was waking up and, and I was waiting for eight o'clock. I'm thinking they're going to start in a minute. They're going to start in a minute, you know, and you shouldn't be. Th and then where my studios in London as well was really, really noisy. And they just built like Canterbury Cathedral with scaffolding next door, you know, and and it's not conducive to my mood at the moment or the way I'm feeling or anything. I'm trying to get over the cancer and it was it is not helping to have like a whole building site next door to a bedroom. So, mm. so is Margate yeah. finished now then? Have they stopped? Yeah, Margate's completely finished, yeah. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, that's great. Then. Margaret's been finished since June. Yeah, because I saw it when it was being you know, yeah, no, remodeled no, yeah. quite a couple of times. Yeah, and it's 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 really beautiful. It's amazing. It works so well. I've got a really lovely courtyard. I've got it's the studio's amazing and the cats love it here. And, and it's brilliant because here it's very cozy and all my furniture from Fournier Street fits in really, really well, just like a glove, really. So I've, uh, it feels small and cozy and, and very different from my house in London. And Carl's next door, which is brilliant, like family. And I have got family here, my brother. And the other best thing about Margate is a lot of the artists that live in here and the creative people are really creative <laughs> and they really live like artists and they really believe in art and they're really pioneering and they have a different sort of kind of very fresh attitude towards things that I find very healthy to be around and all the red little restaurants and stuff everybody's pioneering and everybody's working towards they're very content working towards their own goals it's not competitive it's their own competition to make it work and everybody has one common interest making margate good 
Mm. And so it's a really nice thing. So every time something new opens, every, it's like a little celebration. Everyone celebrates it, you know, and everybody tries it out and everybody supports it. And I like that idea of community. I like that idea of society. And I do very well in that kind of atmosphere. So it's like living in a giant co-op, really. And I really, really like it. I respond to it well. So mm. it's nice. I started doing this lecture series here called Margate Forum. It's uh, the one hour lecture that you hear about one hour before. So I just put it up on Instagram and it's like bring £10 and a chair. So people have to bring their own chair. And then I talk about a certain subject. Where does that take place, Tracy? Is that in your courtyard? No, that, that takes place in the sculpture studio. And there's enough room for 100 people in there or something. Mm. So, but not right at the moment. At the moment, probably, you know, people have been spaced out. But, but so all these people that come down to Margate. I thought that there was a lot of people who moved from London, for example, to Margate, that it was suddenly a kind of, you know, a cheaper place to live and that kind of thing. But is that is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So the sort of London artists you're talking about? No, there's London artists, Margate artists, artists from up north of England. For example, the upholsterer, he's from Cheshire, from Liverpool, for example. People who maybe come from another part of England that don't want to go to London, but want to move, they've come here. And also there's massive music industry here because there's um, two really, really good music studios, recording studios. And there's a lot of musos and bands come down here and, and some musicians have come here and then they just decided they liked it and stayed here. So, and that, is why I am having the TKE Studios. So I just bought a big building to have 30 artist studios. Wow, that's fantastic. Where? Not, not next door to you, that, that big space. No, 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 but only about five minutes walk away. Right, so what's going to happen there? There'll be artist studios. It will be non-profit studios. People have to apply. There'll be really strict set rules. And if people don't want to do the rules, they don't have a studio there. But it will be non-profit, so the rents will be really low. And there'll be good studios. And also the best part of it, it will be run like a kind of art school in a way that's free. Mm. <laughs> so there'll be an older generation. of There'll be like a generations of artists, baby artists, middle artists, older artists. And the older artists will help the younger artists. And... People like you, when you want me to do a podcast, I'll say, yeah, okay, I'll do it. But you're coming down to Margate and you're going to do a studio walk around with me or you're going to give a talk or you're going to give a lecture. And that's what you have to do for me doing the podcast. And so many people ask me to do stuff that it would be a really good trade-off. And also I've got a whole network of people here who are really happy to go in and do crits and stuff like that. And also when I was at Maidstone College of Art, we had to do this thing called the Corridor Show. And you had to hang your work up and you have to stand in the corridor like on Thursday afternoon at three o'clock and people could come and criticize your work. And that's what I want to do at the studios. Like um, every, every now and then someone has to put their work up in the corridor and then people come and So they have a corridor show and then the others come and criticise it. So right. there's this sort of constant intellectual rigour. People can't just be passive. And the other thing is as well, because the rents are going to be low, I'm not having people having part-time jobs and then never coming in. So I'm setting it up 
so they don't have to work full time or they don't have to do, you know what I mean? They, they will have time to work and paint. There'll be no subletting, no smoking, <laughs> no loud music. No Radio 4. No, you can't ban Radio 4. Everybody. No, I couldn't. No, I couldn't ban Radio 4. God knows. Yeah, the artist's staple diet. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, no, because I, I want I want it to be with some rigor so people don't muck around. It's like, this is an opportunity for you. Make the most of it. And the studios are really good. The light's really good. Really big spaces. Um, there's a massive, great big car park. There's a morgue. And the morgue, I'm going to turn into a mini museum. A morgue? A morgue, yes, a seaman's morgue. Right. Might so... sound creepy. <laughs> Might think, mm, do I want to hang out in the morgue? But um, I'm going to have it as a museum. So what is this building then? It's a... The building is like an old bathhouse. An old bathhouse, right. Yeah, and that's why there's a morgue there, because the morgue was for people's bodies found at sea. So those mm. bodies couldn't go to the ordinary morgue for obvious reasons they had to go to a different morgue because the bodies would have been in much more of a weird state so the two so decomposed was, for the normal yeah and just like things yeah. calling out of them and god knows what else and they'd have to do a longer autopsy to find out who the person was because it's weird so anyway it's not creepy <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna have that as a mini museum because it lends itself well to it the building the mini so, museum of what of death or, or no or... no mini museum of Tracy. Oh, a Tracy Museum, I see, of course. Yeah. So what's yeah. this place going to be called? I don't know yet. The working title's TK Studios, Tracy Karima I'm in Studios. And it's also run as a charity, and mm -hmm. it'll be part of my foundation, and hopefully it will be a legacy, something which continues after I've gone. And I bought the building, so I'm not subsidising my buildings with artists studio rent so i'll never get the money back from it you know it's just what i've decided to do yeah so how long has this been a plan of yours tracy i decided about a month ago two months ago and i was having a conversation with rob diamond and we call it the compound he said you should buy the compound and i said yeah i could have an art school or studios or something and I went, fucking hell, what a brilliant idea. I just made a few phone calls and they said it would come off the market for certain reasons and whatever. And then I just said, well, look, if I do this and I do that, and I did it and I had to buy it within a week, which I did. And so it was all really fast. But it was brilliant because it put everything in place for me. You know, like in life, you sort of amble around and you don't know what you're doing, but you know you're doing something. And then suddenly, you know, you see the light and you go, oh, my God, that's what I'm doing. Well, with Margate now, especially after the cancer and everything, it's all making sense what I'm doing. I am helping make a kind of artist haven in a way and helping make a place of um, creativity because margate you know used to have artist studios art schools everything i mean the light here is amazing and it, it just lends itself to being creative it feels exciting there's an energy i think it's because of all the hills and the light and everything mm -hmm. so i've got a tiny building which i'm doing up to make an artist studio and live in and so there'll be four-month residences for artists. So that's another thing I'm doing as so well. that's a separate thing, another thing. That's a separate thing. So people apply and they come to Margate for three or four months and they do a residency. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, out of three artists a year, one of them will decide to stay here. 
or they get to know it or they bring people here or whatever you know so it's organically making the place right for the right people so it's also coming home for you so there's above and beyond all that helping the helping artists there's there's you with your sense of coming from margate right yeah and that makes sense as well because i kept thinking why am i going back to go back is kind of a strange thing but i'm not going back i've gone full circle i've gone around the world and i've come back and the place i've come back to is not the place i left the person who left here is not the person i am now so it feels quite an adventure it feels quite exciting so um margate now is just really cool it's like how Hackney should be or something. And I don't want this thing when everyone calls it shortage by the sea, but it really is kind of cool. It's not jumped up. It's not people posing or poncing around. Everybody here is doing something. And that's what makes it really nice and interesting. There's no laggers or, or liggers or everybody's sort of got a direction and they're enthusiastic as well. Mm. That's lovely. That's a sense of shared, a sort of shared artistic spirit that you're tapping into. Yeah, and bookshops are opening, you know? Mm, mm. So things like that. And it sounds very simple, but it's not simple. How many bookshops are opening in London? Hardly yeah, any. Not enough, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. So listen, are you able to do any work at the moment? Have you, are you feeling inspired? I know you've been on holiday, but, but generally. Um, well, so I haven't done any work I've been on strike but actually I've probably done enough since I come out of hospital I've probably done enough work to have a whole show I did a whole series of uh, these drawings for Carl I did a sort of basic life a drawing of a bed and then did lots of drawings on top Indian ink drawings done about 20 of them which I really like they're really big mm. and I've done a few paintings and a few big drawings on canvas and I've done all the self-portraits. So I'm going to have a show with Carl in the summer of my self-portraits. Oh, great. Mm. And Carl has these giant printing presses next door, about the size of this bed. I haven't done it since I was a student. I'm going to do some giant, giant prints and giant monoprints. Mm. So it's exciting. So I'm going to have a show next door at Carl's, which is good because it's kind of homely. And there isn't this other pressure. The work hasn't got to travel. Nothing. Everything's kind of easy for me. And it would be a good way for me to put my toe in the water, as they say. What about sculpture? That's a too big a thing to tackle at the moment. No, weirdly enough, this last couple of weeks, I cast these heads that I made about 10 years ago that were in a box. And the noses had come off and things. But I still like them. And I cast them in bronze. They look like Egyptian mummy heads. And one of them just looks like me, dead or something. You know, yeah, like mummified body. Mm. And I really loved it. So I might show them at Carl's. I might make some more if I can. With Jay and Zabra and Rorkin, they know that I'm not really making any work. I'm not showing any work, really. I'm not making any work. I've got no pressures. Because otherwise, if I do that, um, I could get myself frenzied up and stressed out. Yeah. And what I've really got to do is get better. Mm. So you get physically a lot better and stronger, but then mentally it starts to hit you. I was on such a high before because I'd survived and then now I've survived. I've now got to get on with all the other stuff and it's difficult. And, and I've spoke to quite mm. a lot of people that have 
been in a simmer or you know whatever situations and they all say it takes about three or four years before you really come out the other side of it when it's been this brutal so I'm just doing everything slowly and I'm trying to do things which give me pleasure like the art school thing I love art I love art and I love property and this way I'm combining both my loves and doing a bit of good I've got time and energy to think about doing that side of things whereas before it was just like my next show my next show my next ego boost my next thing my next who am I what am I doing how am I perceived well I'm not interested in that at the moment I'm more interested in doing things because mm. the art's in me the art's always there that that's there I trust that now whereas uh, the other things I need I need to get on with them so they're all set up so I build up all these like nice things that are around me Mm. So the last time we talked on this on this podcast, anyway, was um was last summer, wasn't it? Before you had your diagnosis, I can't remember what time, but it would have been just before because it was sunny. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and I didn't know about it. Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it was such a surprise. It was such a surprise. You know? Oh, really? <laughs> well. <laughs> Imagine what the surprise it was well, to me. It's like, wow, <laughs> didn't see that coming. But I said, you know, it was this thing. I actually probably said on your podcast, I was very happy. I was really happy working, really happy with my new decisions in life about moving the studio, doing all these new things. And I felt good, you know. And it was the first time in years I felt that optimism and that. And then suddenly that comes out of the blue. So now I'm a little bit scared to say when I'm happy. I'd just rather be, I don't know. Take it one step at a time, yeah. Yeah. But I remember you talked so well about that painting and, and the things I remember you saying was, were about how you have to sort of leave things there and you, how, how much of art is, is spent away from the picture, just looking at it, thinking about it, you know, just, just ruminating upon it. Um, and I, I loved that, the way you talked about that. And it's so true, isn't it? It, it? In the sense that, I mean, so much art will never, ever make complete sense or anything. It's it's never going to have a final meaning or a final position or even a final look. So much of it is always just in flux and it's sort of moving. In my studio, I've got about eight paintings that I started maybe a year and a half ago or something before I knew about the cancer. And I started them and I've been working on them, working on them. And then after the cancer, I started working on them again, but just like a little bit, about once a month or something. And then... My friend, Carol, who's Austrian, who's a curator, he came to see me and he said to me, I thought you said you'd done no work. And I said, I hope you went, these paintings are so different. These paintings, he said, oh my God, you must have worked so hard to make this leap. They're so different from the other paintings. And it was good because he saw something that I didn't. And then I thought, oh my God, they're finished. They're actually finished. And it's this thing about the unfinished painting. Sometimes when things are overworked they die they die in front of you the paint dies everything dies and then if you just leave it for long enough and long enough and long enough and you learn to live with it and see it on this level of where it just sort of like shape and moves from the canvas just dances on top because it hasn't been slapped back and so it's just always effervescent and rising if you can learn to live with that for a long while you'll realize that it is finished mm. Do you find that you go back to pictures and then 
when you look at them again, you think, I know what I should have done then. Or, or, or you know, is, is there a sense in which every time you come back to something you've already made, you think you might have done no, something differently? No, because when I get that, I paint over it completely. Mm. So what I have done in the past, for example, is sent off a painting to say an art fair or something or a show or whatever. And I was called up Jay or whoever and I said, don't show it, don't show it. And they go, well, I said, it's not finished. I don't, or I don't like it, I don't like this bit or whatever. And then they have to bring it back and then I usually paint over it completely. And then there's been a couple of paintings at the Royal Academy that I've shown in the summer shows, which I've painted over completely. I said, I'd love to do it on varnishing day, right? You put your painting in and then you go in on varnishing day, because no one varnishes anything. And you go in and you go, hmm, and you get your paint out and you just do a completely different painting. <laughs> the dates will be good then. So it's uh, whatever the name of the picture, but not 2015 to 2021. <laughs> no, but a lot of my paintings have got that, especially if I've got a painting that's taken me 10 years. I can still see it underneath, it all comes through and everything. I always put the dates on like from 2010 to 2017. And then sometimes with my paintings, you can see I turned them upside down and reworked on them upside down. Yeah. Because the drips are going the other way. I've noticed that, yeah. But lots of artists do that because it's, uh, it is part of this journey of discovery. The art, the art is bigger than you, isn't it, in that yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah. totally. And also, by turning it upside down, in your mind, you can let go of what was there. And it just it's just paint then, just marks and paint. Mm. So it's like it's almost like cut-up technique or something. It sort of takes things in a completely unexpected direction. Not unexpected, but in a different direction, the other way up direction. Mm. Exciting. So <laughs> the, the other thing that, um, basically, you've spent a lot of time tackling Munk um, in the last couple of years. And this, this seems to be like the big thing that you've done recently was your show in Oslo, right? Five years. Is it five years? Yeah, no. He's very demanding. He is, uh, well, and yeah. so are you, so the two of you together. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what was the difference? I mean, your show was fantastic, the show at the Royal Academy. Um, no, my show at the Munk Museum is sublimely fucking brilliant and no one's gonna see it. It's kind of annoying. The Munch show in Oslo is so different from the Royal Academy. The Royal Academy was a small show that looked quite modest in lots of ways, jewel-like, you know, whereas in Oslo, the space is four times bigger. Um, there's other works in it. It's hung with lots of space. There's really good dialogue between the works, how they correspond and everything. It's just a totally different experience. It's very big, modern, contemporary museum really beautiful the blue is still there the blue walls it's just not comparable at all the beds wow. in the show the, the insomnias in the show it's just a very different experience the exhibition so it's bigger so, obviously but is it is it the meanings are the same aren't they it's, it's still you and yeah but the meaning's the same but it feels different so if in oslo it feels like a big idea it feels like a grand show it feels like you need a really long time to walk around it was in the Royal Academy, it didn't feel like that. In the Royal Academy, it felt like a cabinet. It felt like a quiet, secret, hushed moment, a jewel-like experience. Whereas in Oslo, it feels expansive. Mm. It feels ginormous. It's also got these different things in it. So my bed is in there, which sort of surprised mm. me when I, when I read that. Describe it to me. What's it doing in the show? Is the it... bed is in the room on its own with um, the death of Morat. 
and also this Annunciation painting of mine and Monk's Defavorat. And the bed is just like, you know how it is, and mm. it's quite a distance away, and it's beautifully lit. And you go through the whole show of all the paintings and everything. And also there's a big bronze sculpture in the show as well, which wasn't in. And there's the bath piece as well with the neon and the barbed wire. But anyway, when you get to the bed, I can't really explain it. It's just so different. It's really beautiful. It's The bed is at the end of one floor of the show, and you feel like it's the end of a story. But then you go upstairs and you've got the insomnia wall. It's like one giant big wall of the insomnia photographs. And you understand that the bed is the same as the insomnia photos, except they're the opposites. One is of the person and the other is of the empty bed. And it's like a correspondence between myself and Monk. It's like a dialogue between the subject of being lonely and the monk works that I've got in the rooms work really well. And it's very minimal. The thing about Oslo is it really does monk a lot of favours in the situation because it, his work looks so contemporary and so of the moment. Whereas in the Royal Academy, my work looked older. And in Oslo, monk's work looks younger. Mm. So, hmm. So the insomnia sequence, is that the same one that you showed at White Cube? It's all Yeah, the... but not as many. I think mm. in Oslo, it's just a third of them. But it looks really different. It's grand because it's just one big giant high wall. In I mean, I've forgotten how many metres high it is. I think it's like um, something like maybe 12 metres or something high, the wall. Mm. So these, just because it's the, for the podcast listeners, so these are all these pictures that you took of yourself at night when you couldn't sleep, basically. Over um, a period of four years, yeah. Yeah. You know when you lay in a room in the dark and you see cracks of light appear, shots of light, just coming from different places? I started to try to take photos of that light, and of course it's really shit photos, really. And then I suddenly thought, oh, I wonder what I look like. And I turned the camera around on me, I was quite horrified at how, because in fact, how awful I looked. And I thought, bloody hell, that's what I look like. And I thought, glad no one sees me looking like this. And then I was thinking, oh, but I wonder if I could make myself look better. And so then I changed my face, like that, took another photo. Oh, yeah, that looks a lot better. And then every time I woke up, instead of just feeling, oh, I can't think, I thought, oh, I know, I'll take a photo, see what I look like. And it's over a period of four years. So it wasn't just like a fact. And so it's really amazing. It's like a diary because you can see where I've been crying. You can see where I'm drunk. You can see where I had my eyes operated on. You can see where I've got uh, some bleached hair. You can see where I've got a tan. When I haven't got a tan, you can see where I'm puffy. You can see all kinds of red eyes, you know, everything. And it's just kind of like a strange diary of images of myself. I mean, especially the ones at the time when my mum died because I can see how how harrowed I look and, and how much I've been crying and yeah and lo and behold that date of that photo is you know the time when my mum died so it it kind of it's like a journey of sorts diary mm. Mm. but you've always you, you seem to have a problem sleeping you, you've kind of always been insomniac-ish yeah since I was a little girl but it's not always a problem the problem is when you can't sleep during the day. If I can have cat naps all day long, it's absolutely fine. I mean, now I just sometimes don't get up. I just stay in bed 
for a couple of days during the week and just try and get as much sleep as possible and not feel bad about it because after going what i went through the best way the body can rejuvenate is by sleep so if i don't sleep that really knocks my immune system back and i can't get better i can't mend so that that's more of a problem now and also wonder whether I was also thinking about this before I had the cancer. After my white cube show, there was nine days where I only slept for like maybe ten minutes here, ten minutes there. But I had nine nights where I didn't sleep, and at the end of that nine nights, I was distraught. It was like torture. It was incredible. I was at my wit's end, and I wonder whether that exacerbated the cancer or I don't know because not sleeping like that. Mm. is is really harmful it's it's unusual isn't it i mean because you, you you know you always like to drink and drink normally knocks us out doesn't it doesn't me you know but no but i haven't drank for 18 months so yeah now but you did before didn't you when yeah yeah mm. yeah but also i didn't drink okay didn't drink every night or every day i binge drank so i drank like a bottle of wine every few nights or something so and those nights actually, I just I didn't leave the studio. Number one and number two, I'd wake up on the sofa. I go to sleep about four and wake up on the sofa at about nine in the morning in the studio. But um, those days are gone now. Hmm. So you have to look after your diet. That's what you seem to be telling me as well. You've got to be very careful what you eat. Is that right now? No, I haven't got to be careful what I eat because I have a urostomy bag. I don't right. have a colostomy bag. I have a urostomy bag. So my bag is for urine, not for poo. So I have to be careful what I drink. Yeah, no fizzy water, no champagne. Actually, you can drink alcohol, but it says, remember, you are now a lightweight. So I can have one glass of wine, but I've got to drink loads of, you can't drink loads of water. That's what the problem is. But you have to eat, you have to, alcohol really affects you in this situation because it just goes straight. I don't know what happens exactly, mm. but I don't have a urinary tract anymore. Mm. So it's not good for my kidneys. It's really funny because I was going off drinking so much anyway because I was so ill with the cancer. When you've got bladder cancer, like a glass of white wine feels like sulfuric acid. So I was cutting down and cutting down and cutting down more and more. And then by the time of my diagnosis, it was like, well, actually, you know, I can't drink anyway. So the last drink I had was on the 16th of July, 2020. Wow. Mm. That's so you must be yeah that is a long long old time well that's it then no, yeah, you, you must be really boring yeah no. <laughs> so, yeah, no. No, I, I i should cut down as well i'm i'm i love boozing well you know i love boozing we've had some good yeah, together. yeah we've had the good, good times <laughs> together yeah no but it's strange because that's what i'm saying about everything is very different before last night i would have just got a bottle of wine gone to studio fucked up loads of paintings danced around like a banshee had a really good time on my own that's not happening anymore that isn't that kind of like crazy energy i haven't got it inside me i just don't have that kind of strength and i certainly don't have the strength to deal with the hangover that's for sure mm -hmm. so everything's been reevaluated, reconsidered and i'm trying to work out where to go next what to do how do i feel all that kind of thing mm -hmm. But you seem to have got quite a long way down that down that road. I mean, you sound pretty secure in those in those plans to me. Like I've never had such clarity in all my life. Mm. It makes me wonder what I could have done if I if I had stopped drinking earlier. I don't know. I mean, you know, ifs and ands were pots and pans. 
but um, I just don't know. But I just do know that this is the first time in my life I've been happy not drinking. Mm. So, because before when I stopped, I just felt suicidal. You know, I'd look at a beam and I'd think, oh, that's a good place to hang yourself from. I was so unhappy. Um, but now I, I just don't feel like that. I feel like I'm, it goes from strength to strength. Mm. So. Well, it sounds like it, and you've got some fantastic plans there. I love the sound, obviously, of your art school. Uh, and, of course, I'll be delighted to pop up and um, and tell everybody how uh, good and bad they are. Um, yeah. And, and the whole thing sounds great. And, and I'm so happy that you're feeling the good vibes in Margate, Tracy. That really, yeah, but you uh, knew I would. You saw it coming, didn't you? I knew you would. I did come yeah. and see you a few times down hmm. there. And it's fantastic. Yeah. It's so good that it's worked out for you. It's lovely to see you actually, and lovely to see you looking, you know, really good in my opinion. So there you are. Yeah, yeah, I am good, and um, you know, I have my ups and downs and my slow days or whatever. But I'm here, and I've got big ideas, big, big ideas, mm. and I'm not scared to leave myself for six months and do things for other people. Or I feel open to lots of new things now, whereas before I think I was just maybe just too. I know too myopic really now mm. I feel much more open yeah well you've got the whole city behind you and um, all of Margate will be cheering you on you're putting it on the on the map in a big way that's fantastic well you and Carl and, and the museum and all that stuff that's great yeah well look, thank you so much I won't keep you any longer because I don't I don't want to tire I you hope out. this is an optimistic podcast yeah about it, it good will things be. to come it's really exciting and really nice to talk to you cool all right well thank you bye-bye Ah, so there you are. Tracy Emin has the wind in her sails again. Hallelujah. She's opening an art school in Margate. She has some exhibitions planned. Her fabulous show in Oslo, well, that's just finished. Uh, but lots of other things are looking up. If Bendy was here, I know he'd have loved that discussion. And somewhere out there in the Swiss ether, his spirit would be listening. But from me, poor corporeal Waldy, Stuck here on Plague Island, it's goodbye from this special edition of Wardy and Bendy's Adventures in Art. And remember, art lovers, 2022 is your year. Wardy and Bendy!